0: Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Our nation was founded on the ideal of freedom. And that might have been an ideal for freedom of religion or freedom of speech or a freedom from taxation without representation. But the founders of our nation aspired to establish a free country. Uh, the Declaration of Independence, you probably know, begins by saying that, that we believe that all human beings are endowed by their creator with certain rights, and among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right there in the, at the beginning of the founding document of our nation is this belief uh, that, that all people should be free to do whatever they think will lead to their own happiness. And that ideal, uh, that our top priority should always be our own freedom and happiness, is fed to us every. we're told that the worst thing that could ever happen to us would be to get tied down by something that that we don't like or we don't want to do. That understanding of freedom is a belief in freedom from, or what might be called negative freedom. Negative freedom or freedom from means that the ideal is that you would have freedom from any and all constraints that you might want to be free from. And that sounds nice, to be free from everything that you would ever not want to be tied down by, but it is an ideal that that seems to never really be fully realized. I mean, maybe... Maybe you want to break free from the constraints of your parents. You want to be free from what your parents demanded of you, and so you do the exact opposite of what they wanted for your life. You do the exact opposite of what they always wanted from you, and you might think on some level that you are free from your parents, but really you're still constrained by your parents. It's just uh, you're being constrained by doing the exact opposite of what they wanted you to do. Maybe you're sick of constraints of a dress code, maybe at school or at work, you're told what you have to wear and you're sick of it, and so in your free time or when you're able to, you, you break free from that, you dress in a different way, you do whatever you want to do, and sure, you might be free from certain demands, but at the same time, you are conforming to other expectations of, of style and dress and attire that's fed to us by pop culture or advertising or whatever it might be. Maybe we feel constrained by the demands of, of work or the stress our family puts on us or just stress in general, and so we try to find freedom, we try to find relief through drinking or smoking or medicating the pain away, and sure, that might feel like freedom from whatever stress it might be, but the end result of that path is the slavery to addiction. We want freedom, but it's harder to find than we're led to believe. We think rejecting whatever constraint it is that we don't like will lead to our own happiness, our freedom, but it seems it seems that the opposite of constraint is not freedom. It seems that the opposite of constraint is chaos. So maybe negative freedom, maybe freedom from is a lie. Maybe instead we need freedom for. Instead of trying to get away from anything we don't like, we need freedom for the right things. Freedom within the proper constraints that can lead to our flourishing. And that is the sort of freedom we were created for. We were not created to be free from any and all responsibilities and just do whatever we want at any given moment. We were created for freedom within the boundaries laid out for us by our loving God. True freedom is only found when we learn to operate within the right restrictions. When you are driving down Highway 52, you are driving within a free country. But we all know, or at least I hope we all do, know that that, me- that does not mean that you are free to drive however you want. You are free to drive within the lanes that have been marked on the highway. You are free to drive at the recommended speed. You are free to uh, drive by obeying the laws of the road. And there are people in place whose job it is to uh, restrict those Uh, freedoms to make sure that everyone operates within the proper boundaries, not because there's some grand conspiracy to hinder your personal freedom, uh, but because we are all in agreement that that is the best way for us all to function together, for us to flourish as a group of people together. And that is the sort of freedom, being free for operating within the right restrictions that Jesus has come to bring us. So as we continue this series, we're looking at how Jesus brings us the truest expressions of the things that our world aspires to. We're going to look at what Jesus has to say about freedom today in John chapter 8. We're going to look at just a few verses, and they're a part of this broader argument that Jesus is having with the religious leaders of his day, but right here they're focused on this idea of freedom. Uh, this group of people Jesus is arguing with believes that they are free. They have one understanding of what they think it means to be a part of the people of God, and Jesus has a different one, and that's going to create a rub because they think they're free. They think they're in God's people, and therefore, they have complete freedom, but Jesus is going to show them that, in fact, they are in bondage, and they will not be truly free until they are free to listen to him, and the same is true for us. It's just a few verses, but I want to break it down into three parts. These, the first couple of verses, we get a, a premise from Jesus, and then the third verse, we get an objection from Jesus's audience, and then the fourth and fifth verses, we get Jesus' response to them. So I want to start with John 8 at verse 31. It says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I have read John chapter 8 multiple times. I hope you believe me when I say that. I've read it at least once or twice before this week. Um, but I came across something I'd never noticed in these verses this week. And there, in verse 31. At the beginning of this passage, it says, to the Jews who believed in him, Now, if you read throughout the Gospel of John, that word, believe, is a really key word. Uh, John will say at the very end of his Gospel that the whole reason he has written this book, the whole point of the Gospel of John is that you would believe in Jesus. And that word shows up all over the place throughout this Gospel. Belief is a really key word for John. And at the same time, he uses that word that gets translated in our English translations, the Jews. He uses it a lot to to designate the people who are opposed to Jesus, the religious leaders who are scheming against him, who want to undermine his authority and, and do, things, do things like that. And yet, right here in that one verse in John 8, 31, those two terms come together in a really interesting way. He says that the Jews, the, the people that tend to be opposed to Jesus, have believed in him, which is the goal of Jesus' entire ministry. So if we take just that one verse on its own, we might think, well, maybe things have calmed down, maybe things are going well, maybe, maybe Jesus is getting some people won over to his side and things are going to work out well. But if we keep reading, uh, things will not stay that way. Or if they do, it's only for a small portion of the crowd. There are some who believe in him, but by the time we get to the end of this chapter, this crowd's ready to try to put Jesus to death on the spot. So what do we make of this comment? Well, on the one hand, it it tells us that there is a crowd that is curious about Jesus. But their their curiosity does not lead to commitment. And as this chapter goes on, we find that they have a shallow commitment. As Jesus begins to teach more about who he is and what it means to be a part of his people, it begins to cause a fuss. Because Jesus says to follow him means to listen to what he says. When we do that, Jesus says we will come to know the truth, and that truth will set us free. He will say Jesus says that freedom comes through the truth that he reveals. And that comment at the end of verse 32 gets used a fair amount. And it seems like we, we tend to boil that down. The truth will make us the truth will set you free. We tend to boil that down to say that, that lying is bad, but if you tell know the truth, it will set you free. And obviously I think lying is bad. But I also think Jesus is trying to get at so much more in this verse. He's looking at this crowd that is interested in him because he's the new kid on the block. He's got some fresh ideas, some interesting things to say, and he is telling them they need so much more. They don't need someone with a fresh perspective to tell them the same things over and over again. They need freedom, and they won't have it until they listen to what he says. They need the truth, and the truth comes only through him. Jesus says to this crowd and to us that we cannot know true freedom until we pass through the constraint of being formed by his words. And that statement might sound at best like a, like a paradox, at worst like a contradiction, but in reality we know from experience that freedom is only fully experienced when we've been formed by the truth. Again, the opposite of constraint is not freedom. The opposite of constraint is chaos. We're not faced with a choice of complete personal freedom on the one hand or complete constraint to some other standard set by someone else on the other hand. We are faced with the choice of what boundaries we are going to function in, whether we fully always acknowledge that or not. And Jesus tells us we will not find true freedom until we operate within the boundaries of the truth that he has come to reveal to us. Or to use the words of someone else, The scholar N.T. Wright says in the book that this uh, sermon series is based on, he says that widespread human experience suggests that freedom often emerges through a pathway that seems anything but free. The freedom to improvise musically or to compose music of your own will only come when the disciplines of learning the scales and the technique for the instrument have been mastered. People sometimes imagine that when musicians improvise, like in jazz or Other forms, they're just making up anything, playing the first thing that comes into their heads, and they couldn't be more wrong. Jazz depends, just as much as classical music does, on the musicians knowing exactly what's going on, listening intently to one another, and making sure that even the most apparently daring riffs and outlandish extra passages come into land at the right moment in the right key. And that right there is an example of what freedom in Jesus is supposed to look like. Knowing his words, being formed by them so that then we are free to function within those guardrails that he gives us. True freedom comes from knowing the presence of God and his purposes for his people. And that is what Jesus came to this earth to bring us. It is what he has created us for. But that does not align with the ideas of this religious crowd, which leads to their objection in verse 33. Uh, They answer Jesus. They say, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone, How can you say we shall be set free? Jesus is addressing a problem that is not a problem in the mind of this crowd. A year or so ago, I was uh, rock climbing at the climbing gym here in town with some of our teenage boys, and we all live to tell the tale. But at uh, one point, I was climbing, and I had gotten up. My feet were probably about six feet off the ground and unbeknownst to me, the rope that was holding me in place had come undone on the ground. and I was standing on a ledge. I was pretty secure. And, and from what I could see, everything was normal. everything was fine. I, I could keep climbing and things like that. I didn't know the people on the ground behind me were in a panic because they were thought I was about to plummet to my death, you know from you know six feet onto a rubber mat. Uh, they thought that was going to be it for me, and they were going to have to preach the next day. Um, But from my perspective, everything seemed fine. Everything seemed normal. Everything seemed to be working. Behind me, there was complete chaos because there was a problem I didn't know about. And as Jesus says here, you need to be set free by the truth that I'm giving you to these religious leaders, it is news to them that they need to be set free from anything, at least in their mind. Uh, They respond to, Jesus, we're, we're descendants from Abraham. What are you talking about? We've never been enslaved to anyone, which is a little bit of an odd statement. Because you don't have to know very much about the Old Testament to know that one of the most important stories in the Old Testament is the Exodus, where God frees his people from slavery. And then it doesn't take a lot of knowledge to keep reading in the Old Testament and know that there are plenty of places in the Old Testament where other nations come in and conquer God's people and they're put into oppression. And so it's a little strange to say right here that they've never been enslaved to anyone. I mean, even as they're speaking... That, they're living under the rule of the Roman Empire, and sure, they're not technically slaves, but they don't have full freedom. But maybe they're, not, maybe they're not just playing fast and loose with their history and are trying to make a spiritual statement. I mean, sure, you know, we've dealt with literal slavery in the past, but the thing that makes us different from every other nation is that we are God's people we faced enemies and oppositions. We've been conquered. But through it all, God has been with us. He's made himself known and he set us free to be his people. We've never been enslaved to anyone because we have God's law to be our guide. So who is this carpenter from Nazareth? Who does he think he is coming in and telling us that we need him to show us the truth about who God is and how we are to live? I mean, doesn't he know my family tree? Doesn't he know that i in synagogue every weekend for my entire life? Doesn't he know that I'm in the clear with God because I've done X, Y, and Z? And Jesus says, being born into the right family is not enough. They think the fact that they can trace their family tree all the way back to Abraham means that they're good. And Jesus would say they have much bigger problems than they realize. Whatever freedom they think they have will never fully satisfy They will only be truly free if the Son of God sets them free. They may think their problem is Rome. They may think their problem is that people don't take God's law seriously enough. And those problems, that's all it was. They can be fixed through politics or through teaching better morality. Jesus is saying there is a deeper force of slavery at work that they refuse to acknowledge and it goes all the way to their hearts. Jesus says the problem's not out there. The problem is inside you. And you need someone who knows your heart to come and to heal you so that you can be truly free. Jesus shows them the solution in his response. Starting in verse 34, he replies, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If you were to poll an average Israelite on the street in Jesus' day and ask them, what do you think's wrong with the world? My guess is they might tell you, well, the problem is we've got the Roman Empire ruling over us, and they're, they're violent, and they tax us into oblivion, and if we could just get rid of them, everything would be fine. They might tell you, you know what the real problem is? We've got all these people that don't take God's law seriously enough, and if they would just get their act together, then things would be okay. They might say, you know, we've got all these people that are trying to start rebellions and uprisings and set up their own kingdom, and if we could put a stop to all those people, get them to calm down a little bit. It, then everything would be just fine. If you were to ask an average person on the street today and ask them what they think is wrong with the world, I don't know. They might say that, well, the problem is this or that political party. They may say it's, it's the garbage coming out of Hollywood. They may say it's the greedy people on Wall Street. It may be something else. I don't know. And yet, underneath all of that, in the first century or now, is the problem of sin that corrupts everything and leaves us in bondage. Sin always promises freedom. It can just never deliver on it. I mean, that's how sin enters the world in Genesis chapter Uh, 3. The serpent comes to Adam and Eve and promises freedom. It says, I know God said don't eat from the fruit of that tree, but God's holding out on you. You need to eat from this fruit because once you do, you will be like God. You'll be free from the constraints that he's put on you. You'll be able to know good and evil. You won't need to listen to God anymore. You can be free. You can do whatever you want, and it'll all be great. And they eat from the fruit. And they, instead of freedom, instead of blessing, the result is curse on them, on us, and on all creation ever since. Whatever we might think is wrong with the world, whatever it is that makes us think, boy, if I could just get rid of that, then I would be free. It will not work if it does not also eradicate the problem of sin. That is what Jesus is trying to get this crowd and us to see. They may think they're good with God because their family tree goes back to Abraham, but Jesus is telling them that doesn't matter if you're still in bondage to sin. You've not dealt with a deeper problem. And true freedom will only come when I set you free. Sin promises freedom, but it puts us in slavery. It is the force that promises us we can be free if we just take matters into our own hands, but it traps us every time. That word sin, typically, because we don't use it that often outside of church, we just treat it as a nice little way to say doing what God said not to do. And and sin is that but it's also so much more. Sin is not just, the rule says to do A, but I did B. Sin is a moment where someone is calling the shots who should not be. It is when God's command says, you'll find freedom if you do one thing, but sin says, no, you need to find freedom through doing something else. And we listen to sin, hoping to find freedom, where we can do whatever we want, and we find ourselves enslaved because we've listened to a voice we were not created to listen to. It's when God's word says you were created to use your words to build up others and encourage them, and sin promises us, yeah, but if you tear other people down with your words, it'll build you up in the process, and you find along the way that tearing other people down isolates you from those around you and never builds you up as high as you think it will. It's when God's word says that you've been given marriage as a lifetime commitment where a man and a woman commit to love and support one another, but sin says you shouldn't have to serve. You deserve to be served by your spouse, and if they won't serve you, there's no reason why you can't just walk out, seek the satisfaction you want with anyone you're attracted to. And we buy into that, and we make a mess of our life and those around us in the process. And the freedom we thought we were going to have by throwing off that commitment instead leads to us being enslaved to our desires. It's when God's word says, or loved no matter who you are or what you have done. God loves you unconditionally, but sin says, yeah, but maybe you haven't done enough. So you better work a little harder. You better earn a little more. You better get one more rung up the ladder. You better move into a slightly bigger house, and then you'll be loved, and then everything will be great. And you buy into that, and along the way, sure, you may earn a lot of money and praise and achievements, but the freedom promises promised through that turns into being enslaved to our work at the of our friends and our family. Sin promises freedom, but the cost is that we always end up under its reign. I don't know if there's something you feel is oppressing you right now. I don't know if you'd be in agreement with this crowd standing before Jesus in John 8 and say, Well, what are you talking about? I've never been enslaved to anyone. But I know that the power is alive and well, I know that it promises freedom. And I know it never delivers. And I know the freedom we are searching for will only come through Jesus. If someone listening to Jesus speak here in John chapter 8 was thinking, you know, if we could just get rid of Rome, then everything would be great. They might have been right that getting free from an oppressor would make life better, but that would eventually turn into new people being in charge and people fighting to take power from them. And the promises that if we could just get rid of the person in charge, then everything would be fine, would come up again. And before you know it, we're fighting the same battles we were before. You might be thinking that, boy, if I could just get married or if that test would just come back negative or if we could just have kids or if I could just move to a different part of town or if we could just get the kids out of the house or if we could just get to retirement, then we would be free. And sure, crossing those thresholds might free up our schedules a little bit, but pretty soon there will be a new promise that you could have more freedom if you just had fill in the blank. And we find ourselves enslaved all over again. This is the cycle of the slavery But Jesus tells us what the true problem is and how to find the true solution. He comes to us and says, we are in slavery. There's nothing we will ever do to gain freedom. No matter how well you might serve in the household of sin, you will at best be a servant, never able to sit down at the table. But Jesus comes to us and says, he is the son of God. And because he's the son of God, he wants to bring us into God's family. And the freedom he comes to offer us might not be the freedom we're told we need to chase after, but it is the freedom we're created for. Because even if you are the very best employee, working as hard as you can at your job, achieving and earning money for your company, at the end of the day, your boss is just your boss. My hunch is, unless you have a really good boss, when you're in your most desperate moment, it's far more likely you're going to call someone who's in your family. And Jesus is saying that the best trying to find freedom on our own will ever do for us will be to leave us as an employee, but he has come to make us a part of God's family. And being a part of God's family brings with it boundaries, sure, but they are the ones that we were created to function within. They are the guardrails that guide us into the true freedom God desires for us. And that true freedom comes... Through remaining in Jesus. I don't know if this is a perfect illustration, but it seems like remaining in the teachings of Jesus is a little bit like remaining in a river while kayaking. Sure, there are things you have to do, but you're not the one propelling yourself downstream. You're remaining within the banks of the river. You're working with the movement of the water as it guides you. And I think Jesus is trying to get us to see something similar when he tells us to remain in his teachings says we're made to live with him and it's by remaining in his word that we will find true freedom our world's vision of freedom says you can be accountable to no one if you just just get enough freedom and then you will be able to do what whatever you want and you finally be able to live the life you want and it doesn't lead to flourishing it leads to chaos for ourselves and for those around us We don't need freedom from anything and everything we might ever think ties us down. We need to be set free for life within God's kingdom. This is the freedom Jesus died and rose from the dead to bring us. And this is the freedom Jesus wants to bring you. I don't know what sort of freedom you may or may not think you have this morning. Maybe you've come in here this morning and you feel completely in bondage to addiction, to anger, to disease, to grief, to anxiety, to depression, to something else. I don't know. And if that's you, I'm here to tell you Jesus wants to bring you freedom. He wants you to know that he loves you. He's died and risen from the dead for you. We live in a broken world where we are confronted with sin and death in ourselves and in the world around us. And the message of Jesus is not a magic wand that waves that away, but it is a firm foundation that promises us that whether it is in this life or the next, Jesus will bring freedom. But that freedom comes in life with him. Maybe you wouldn't Point to anything holding you in bondage this morning. Maybe life seems to be going pretty well for you right now. And if it is, I'm happy for you. I'm not trying to rain on your parade. But I would say that if I were to ask you why life is going well, and your answer started with anything other than the fact that you are loved by God, that you do not have true freedom. That one day, whatever it is that you are trusting in will trap you. And it may feel like freedom right now, but you are in bondage and sooner or later that will show itself and, and the end result of that is death. And I don't say that to scare you, to guilt you, to make you feel bad, but to say that nothing apart from the love of God ever truly brings us freedom. And so stop settling for being a servant. Stop settling for being a servant in the household of your, of career or wealth or success or whatever it might be. Stop serving in the house of sin that just wants to destroy you and come into the family that you were created to be a part of. Because Jesus is tied and risen from the dead to give you freedom. That is the life that we were created for. It is the life that we as a church are seeking together So let go of bondage and find freedom by remaining in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you that Jesus has died to set us free. That he's come to set us free for life in his kingdom. He's come to set us free for the life that we were created for. And so, Father, we come before you this morning as imperfect people. People in all different walks of life trying to figure out what life with you looks like in various degrees of bondage to sin, whether we realize it or not. So we ask that you would meet us where we are. Help us to step into a life of freedom in you by grabbing hold of the truth in Jesus and remaining in that so that we might have life. Help us encourage one another and walk alongside one another so that you may be glorified in us as we step into the freedom Jesus has come to bring us. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.